So does anybody else feel like as a mom, you're just losing your mind on a daily basis? Because um, I do. Um, this is Jessica, and this is an episode of Christian Mother Runner, Burning Off the Crazy. And I have three daughters. Um, I kind of briefly described them in my first podcast, um, basically the fact that, you know, every child, child was born in my house, my um, ex-husband chose to have a multi- an affair. But on a side note, I have three amazing girls. Um, currently, I am, they are 14 in ninth grade, uh, 11 in fifth grade, and then six in first grade. And basically, um, you know, I feel like I am running around with a chicken in my head cut off every day. Um, you know, dealing with cross-country meets and practices and clean clothes and keeping them fed and making sure they eat and making sure they get to school on time. And, um, you know, recently I took a job at the school, which was a huge, huge relief and, um, you know, great thing for me. But I legit am a psycho. Um, you know, I, I, and for example, today I um, wake up early um, at 5 a.m., 5.15, and text my daughter, who's literally one floor below me, but text my daughter like a mad person, making sure she's awake to get ready for school. Um, and once I'm assured of that, I roll back over and attempt to go back to sleep for an hour or two. And then I proceed to get up and um, wake my middle daughter up, who's usually already up anyways and, you know, on an iPad or watching TV and not done anything that she's supposed to do beforehand. So I proceed to yell like a lunatic um, at her so that she will do what she needs to do. And then, of course, my youngest, who I literally have been walking on eggshells around lately because, you know, every moment is an explosion of tantrums um, and trying to get her up without pissing her off, basically, um, which is super fun. So, you know, I get them up and I'm like yelling at them to get dressed and yelling at them to eat and yelling at them, um, you know, to make sure they have everything for school and figuring out if there's anything I needed to sign or write or fill out or whatever before I get them to school. So today, for instance, which is Thursday, um, my daughter takes violin, but they both bike to school every day. So she can't carry her book bag and her violin. So, of course, it's mom's job to bring said violin to school 45 minutes later because she goes to school at 8.15 and the youngest goes at 9. So, of course, today I forget. And I'm literally, you know, I race home, go to a personal training session, work out for an hour, you know, trying to get a prescription filled for my middle daughter, get home, you know, try to clean up this, pick up that before going into work at 1.15. I'm literally just standing there, glance over and see this stupid-ass violin staring me in the face going, yeah, you forgot. So, of course, I immediately throw it on my back, jump in the car, race like a lunatic, thinking, okay, she's got 15 minutes till class starts, so thank God for that. But this is like my day every damn day. And I know there's a lot of moms out there that feel my pain. But what's really nice is I'm very fortunate, you know, and not a lot of people are. So while, yes, I am a divorced mom, um, I'm also a remarried mom. um, And I was super fortunate to meet my husband um, through running, um, which, once again, I kind of briefly mentioned. And he's super supportive and he's super awesome. But at the same time, um, and this kind of, like, reaches out to, you know, blended families. So raise your hand if anybody else feels like, 
you have the worst children ever when you remarry. Um, I guess my fear is, you know, my husband is actually 12 years older than me. So um, while I'm getting ready to be 37, in fact, in two short days, um, he is um, getting ready to be 49 um, a few days afterwards. And he's got two children, one uh, freshman year of college, just started, and then a daughter who is a junior in high school. So, you know, when we got married last year, basically he had like one foot out the door was done um, and then he married me and basically started completely over. You know, you went from having a senior in high school to having a kindergartner. I mean, I don't know a lot of people that are sane that would make that decision without being medicated. So, um, you know, I love him for that. Um, and he does. He loves my girls. Um, but, you know, at the same time, he is almost 49. His kids are grown. And so I know that his patience is not where it needs to be. I mean, 90% of the time, my patience isn't where it needs to be. So um, I'm always, always, like, just, you know, putting a lot of pressure on myself to try to do, do, do as much as I can for my girls. And even though he is super willing to help any way I need him to, um, I never want to ask. I never want to put that on him. And it's just because, you know, I don't want my kids to make him crazy. And and that's all I think about. It's all, you know, that runs through my mind. Um, and that's awful because, you know, he knows that when he signed up to, you know, marry me, he, he those three girls came along with the package. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's just the way I think being even a woman is. You know, we have the ability and the mentality to think we've got to, we've got to do it all. We've got to juggle all of our boxes and, you know, we don't need anybody else's hands in our boxes. We've got this. Um, and I was in a marriage for a long time that basically put me in a situation where I had to juggle all the boxes. Like nobody was willing to help me. So, you know, to be in a situation that is polar opposite of that, it's, it's really hard some days um, to just sit back and go, hey, I need help and know that someone's going to go, hey, I'm going to help you. Um, so, you know, I say all this because, like, for starters, if you are a single mom, whether it's a, a new spouse, um, you know, a best friend, a mom, an aunt, a grandmother, whatever the case may be, you know, find your support system and and use it. Like, use it. Um, don't turn your back on someone willing to help. Um, you know, one of the big things that I've seen coming into the school system, um, you know, I've always been really overly aware of um, people's situations. I don't know. I just, I'm one of these people that when people meet me, they're they are instantly feel like they could tell me everything, which kind of sucks sometimes because, honestly, I'm not that great of a people person. I really don't like people, um, you know, which is funny because everyone knows me would think I'm the complete opposite, but I'm not. I'm super introverted. I just have the ability to talk to anybody. Um, so people just want to tell me their life story, and so I, I find that, you know, over the years I've been very in tune to what's going on in people's lives, and if I'm not in tune with it, I find out in general, um, but now working in the school system and just being overly aware of the amount of homeless children or, you know, homeless families that are, you know, got children in the school system, um, the amount of children who have, you know, a lot of children and really they, they don't care for the children in the way that I, you know, I would hope they would or they should or I feel like they should, and again, you know, not my place, but, you know, you just see... Um, the toll that it takes on these families, and we have support systems in the school system that are in place 
to reach out and to help these parents and help these kids. And a lot of these parents turn it away. Um, and it and it breaks my heart because, you know, they, funny enough, and they're, you know, no matter how hard life is for them, no matter how much they, you know, probably recognize that they need help, um, they don't want to appear as a failure. And that applies to everybody. Um, nobody is, you know, immune from that feeling. I don't care if you make, you know, trillions of dollars a year and your kids are in private school and your life looks from the outside in like you're just walking on, you know, clouds and rainbows. Or if you are literally living in your car or a hotel, um, you know, night after night and don't know where your next meal is coming from, everyone hates to step up and say, I'm failing or I need help. And um, I will be the first one to say, ask for help. Like, you know, and I still struggle with that. Like, I know the right answer to that, um, but I still struggle with it. You know, so kind of going back, you know, I've kind of give you a brief summary on like how I got to here um, and how I, you know, you know, became this person who went from kind of a really sad life and just, you know, going through the motions and putting on a smile and putting on a happy face. Um, and then eventually finding running as kind of a therapeutic outlet, which was great, but it was still not helping my home life. Um, you know, but bottom line is, yes, I had all these great things, but I had resources. I had an amazing mom. I had, you know, um, friends that did care and, you know, were there and, and I had a church and I just, I had a lot of resources and I didn't use them. Um, and instead I just continued to live in a really bad situation in a really unhappy environment um and i and i kind of let a part of myself die um which is awful like nobody nobody should be made to feel that way and nobody should feel so alone um it's just it's not the way it's not the way humans are built like we are built to need one another we are built to you know thrive off interaction and kindness and you know i wish more and more people recognize that um but anyway so um, the last couple of years, you know, it was really funny because running was what kind of saved my life um, in the sense that I recognized how bad my marriage was um, by actually opening up to people that were willing to listen to me and willing to help, for starters. And then after that, um, you know, and talking about it, I realized I deserved better. Um, so running, you know, was this big therapy thing for me. It gave me, you know, a new source of friends, a new source of outlets to like communicate and, you know, just be healthier and just inside and out. Um, but then my life, the, all the other things started to fall in place. You know, I had a really rough couple years with the transition time. Um, and then, you know, me and my now husband, um, you know, really kind of, meshed our lives together and things started to look up and, you know, our kids were, you know, it was getting easier and easier to blend our children. And, you know, of course, and then of course we moved in together and shortly after that got married. Um, so when we made all these huge steps in this, in this, what is obviously the right direction, which is great, um, you know, running and, and other things took a back seat. But funny enough, as great as everything was, my health started going crazy like you know one you know one month I'm suffering from severe indigestion to the point that I feel like I can't even breathe during a run 
Um, and then all of a sudden I'm having heart rate spikes where I'm running races and my heart is elevated in the 200s, like just insane. Um, you know, and then just one thing after another, doctor visit after doctor visit. I mean, you know, I'm going to a gastroenterologist to check out my indigestion. I'm going to get um, heart scans and echocardios. And, you know, I'm like, I'm 35, 36 years old. Like, you should not need this much medical care. Um, you know, and I've been active for 12 years of my life. Like, you know, I eat relatively healthy. I'm not going to say healthy. I eat relatively healthy. I mean, there's just too many aspects that I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Um, and then I started having what I thought was like asthma, um, exercise induced asthma because, you know, my doctor's like, well, you know, when you're exercising, it seems like, um, that's, you know, invoking the inability to breathe, which is causing the heart rate spikes and, you know, so on and so forth. So we're trying to connect all the dots and none of the dots make sense. Um, so what was funny was, you know, this all took place, like I said, when my life was really turning around and going to a good direction. Um, so back in June of this year, I had a really shitty day, like, I mean, epically shitty day. Um, my husband was out of town on business last minute. Um, he was expected to come back that afternoon or that evening. Um, his mom, who I get along with, but it's just the fact that, you know, when you have to kind of entertain and make sure someone who is you know, a mother-in-law or what an in-law, let's just be honest, an in-law is taken care of, it puts a little extra anxiety on you. So, you know, that's, that's a given. Um, but so, you know, she was in town, he was gone. I had my girls at the time initially when she came, um, my ex-husband, you know, my husband's son was graduating high school this weekend. Um, so we had a, a ceremony through a school on this Friday. That's this day that we're talking about. And, you know, it was in the morning, like late morning. So I, you know, raced my, um, my oldest daughter had a doctor's appointment. So I raced my oldest daughter to the doctor and got her checked out. She had some, some stuff going on, like with the dermatologist. So take her to school, rush home, walk my younger two girls to school, come back, get a phone call that my daughter wants some medication and she forgot her other stuff that she's been using and she wanted me to bring it to school. So I'm rushing back out to take that to her, come home, trying to get showered and cleaned up to get changed, to go to this ceremony with his mom. And mind you, my ex, my husband's ex-wife um, hates my guts. So that's something I'm sure I'll touch base on because that's a fun topic. But um, so she hates my guts and she, you know, at every turn likes to turn, you know, the kids against me, which is whatever. But so, I'm dealing with that and, and I'm going to an event where I'm going to be with around her and the kids and with his mom. And it's a really uncomfortable and awkward situation. And basically um, while there I get kind of ostracized and, and I'm not going to say it was anybody's fault. You know, it just, it was just a really hard situation. Um, so long short of it, after an hour long ceremony, I find myself in a bathroom in a ball of tears because it's just, you know, it's awful. I'm texting my husband, like, I wish you were here. This is awful. So on and so forth. So get back home just in time for my oldest daughter to get home from school. Um, you know, run out and go get my younger two daughters who I then proceeded to have to take to my ex mother-in-law because it was their dad's weekend. However, my oldest daughter had a, um, dance that night and I was supposed to take her to, you know, a place to get pictures done and then drop her off. So, of course, I race and do that, um, and then I come back, 
and I'm kind of stressing because she's riding with a friend that I don't really know. So I'm kind of, you know, watching my phone like a hawk, making sure she arrives safely to the place she's going to. So, you know, needless to say, there's a lot going on. And so I get back and I get a call from my husband who's in a panic because his flights are all delayed. There's bad weather. Every flight's been canceled. He's trying to find a new flight home. You know, at this rate, he doesn't know if he's going to make it home. Mind you, his son graduates the next morning at like nine o'clock. So we're freaking out. Um, so my mother-in-law is like, hey, let's go get something to eat. Let's just kind of chill. So we go to one of these restaurants I've been to a million times, ordered what I always order, eat dinner, whatever. We get back to the house, and while we're there, I, I finally get a text message from my husband. I changed my flight. I got a flight. I'm going to be in late, but I'll be home by 1 o'clock, you know, in the morning. Da, da, da. I'm like, awesome. Thank God. Um, you know, my daughter arrives home safely from the dance. And so all of a sudden, you know, everything is like, okay, husband's getting home. We're all home and safe, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of sit down, and I take a breath, and I realize I can't breathe. Like, I can't breathe at all. Like, it's awful. Um, instantly, you know, I feel like I'm suffocating. Um, my heart's racing. My heart rate is like spiking by the second. Um, I broke out full body hives, felt like I was having a heat stroke. Um, it was like almost like an internal heat inside out, like I was being baked inside. Um, and then of course his, his mother-in-law, who was a former ER nurse for 40 plus years, kind of turns to me and says, and she just says, can you breathe? And at first I'm like, sure like or no can you swallow and at first I'm like yeah I'm fine I just and I'm t frantically searching for Benadryl I'm taking puffs off my inhaler that I have for the in in exercise induced asthma I supposedly have just go on 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 I sit down after she asked me that question and all of a sudden my throat feels like it's closing up I feel like I'm dying I'm literally in my mind I'm dying I'm looking at my daughter and all I can think is oh my god your father's going to have to raise you and that's going to be a hot fucking mess that can't that can't happen. Like, this is not good. Um, you know, cause we've seen how that road goes, but you know, I'm, I'm thinking that and almost to the point out loud, like I'm looking at her, like pray for me. Cause mom feels like she's going to die right now. Um, my mother-in-law's dialing 911. She's got a pulse ox that she's like pulled out of magically out of this bag of hers. That's like loaded with everything you can imagine that, you know, a medical person would have. And she's checking my pulse, uh, and, uh, you know, my oxygen's great, and everything's fine. But in the meantime, I feel like I'm dying in front of them. So ambulance comes. By the time I get in the ambulance, you know, I'm kind of breathing a little normally, having these really weird tremors, like my body's violently shaking and I have no control over it. Um, you know, but I'm thinking in my mind, oh, the, you know, Benadryl's kicking in and the inhaler's helping. And, you know, so slowly I'm, like, coming off of whatever I think it is and, you know, she thinks, and, and, and the paramedic is kind of jumping to conclusions, but they're like, well, did you eat something out of the ordinary? I said, well, I had fish, you know, the same fish I've had time and time again. And they're all like, it's an allergic reaction, you know. So luckily at this point, my, you know, my heart rate's starting to level out and everything. I still took a ride in the to the hospital, which was an expensive ride, as many people who've ridden an ambulance probably know. But, um, and I get there and, you know, they they give me some fluids and they give me this and they give me that. Well, one of the things they gave me in this little, you know, wonderful IV that I didn't find about till later was a sedative. Um, and in reality, that was the only thing I actually needed. So fast forward about two months later, um, 
and and throughout this time, I'm having little bouts of like what I think is asthma, and you know, heart rate spikes still, and just little things here and there that idiosyncrasies that are just have always been there, but seem a little worse. So of course, I'm frustrated. You know, everything seems like hard work when it comes to exercising and running. And um, I opt to, you know, me and my husband never really got a honeymoon because we got married right before school started. Um, so we planned a trip to Aruba for four days and then followed it up to go to visit with his family in Massachusetts for um, another four days and run a race and things like that. So we, I had the bright idea, like, let's drive 11 hours straight after working and get and fly out of Boston to Aruba. That way, when we get back, we'll be in Boston. We'll only have to drive two hours to your mom's. It'll be super calm and relaxed, and we won't have to rush around after having a great vacation. That was the stupidest idea I've ever had in my life. Like, don't do that. Anyone who ever has that idea to drive 11 hours to an airport, don't, because it's stupid. So we get off work. We have, like, 14 hours, typically 10 to 11-hour drive at worst. We're, we're, we're like, we're great. My husband drives like an asshole. I love him dearly. But when he drives long distance, he's very aggressive. He gets really frustrated. He hates stupid people on the road, which unfortunately 95% of the people on the road are considered stupid. So it, it, it's, it's a little stressful, like to the point that I kind of want to take a volume and just be unconscious here lately because it just puts me over the edge. So we had a pretty stressful, like, first half of the drive. Second half of the drive is my turn to drive. And we come into New York, and we come up on George Washington Memorial Highway. It's like 2 in the morning. Flight leaves at 6, so I'm thinking we're good. We're doing good on time. Dead stop. Like, no cars moving. We're going nowhere. Let's, let's just live on the interstate. Um, and I'm freaking out. Like, I, I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to miss our flight. I'm not going to go to Aruba. Like, everything's ruined. We have these you know, we have these reservations and we have all these plans. It was just awful. So I'm losing it. He's getting frustrated with me because I'm all upset because I'm scared because I'm watching our GPS climb hour by hour and, and just the time, you know, taking away. Finally, after two hours of sitting in this literal parking lot on, on this highway, um, we move and we move slowly but surely and we get out of it. We actually managed to get to the airport with a good hour and 15 minutes, which I was like, thank goodness. Um, you know, we're doing all our things. You know, there was no lines. It was just super convenient. I was very, very fortunate. So we get through that. We had a layover. We get to our layover. We kind of, you know, try to take a quick breath, but we had like 30 minutes. Oh, no, I take that back. We get to our layover, and we proceed to have to run. I mean, I'm talking run with all of our luggage on our backs. I'm wearing flip-flops. I rip my flip-flops off. I'm running barefoot through the airline like a, a lunatic. Like, I probably look like, I look like a crazy person. Like, I'm really surprised TSA didn't knock my ass down and, like, try to take me out. So, me and him are, like, bolting through, trying to get to, like, two gates over. We have 10 minutes between the flight because the flight was delayed. It was just a nightmare. So, we get in there. We're literally, like, running into the line, giving our, pa our, our showing our passport and our ticket and, like, walking into the plane and, and I'm like, okay, thank God. So we get on the plane. Let me remind you, or let me mention, I hate planes. So this is now plane number two. I'm a bit phobic. It's a, it's not a great sized plane, so a lot of turbulence. The weather was kind of shitty this weekend, in particular. So we finally get to like the hotel, our airport in Aruba. We get off, we drive an Uber or their version of an Uber to our, our hotel. 
and they can't check us in right away, so we kind of had to hang out, and we try to eat something, and then we finally check in, and we like, you know, at this point, it's like dinner time, and so we're like trying to get situated and get cleaned up and go get dinner and go back to the hotel and, you know, get to bed, and we're like, okay, so we go to bed, and we wake up the next morning, and I get up, and I like look, and I'm like, okay, we're in paradise, and you know, I'm ready to enjoy myself, and I would walk outside, because we're about to go for a run, because that's what people that run do on vacation, is they run, they don't relax, they just run, um, so I'm about to, we're about to go for a run, and we're changed, and I'm feeling good, and I walk outside, and hives, cue the hives all over my body, cue the instant feeling that, like, I'm on fire from the inside out, cue, like, sweating profusely, indigestion, all of a sudden I can't feel like I can't breathe, I can't swallow, I'm, you know, we have no Benadryl because, you know, it's been two months since this has occurred. I didn't eat anything weird, like I, I tried to keep my meal the night before pretty safe. Um, and I'm just like, oh my God, what's going on? And he's like running around trying to find me Benadryl. I'm taking puffs off my inhaler, which is not doing anything. Um, the woman front desk, like there's a, there's a pharmacy five minutes away, walk, you know, right there. So we rush over there. I like, I'm ripping the packet off the freaking aisle. Like, I'm like, okay, go pay for this. I'm like ripping it open. And he's like, calm down. I'm drinking. I'm so thirsty. Like I could have drank every drop of water in the ocean. That's how thirsty I was. I went through like almost 60 ounces of water in a period of 30 minutes. Like I was chugging, chugging, chugging water. So I'm, I'm dying of thirst and every, and, and it's, and it's like the sensations helping me feel like I can swallow a little bit, even though the moment my mouth gets dry, I instantly feel like it's closing up again. And so I'm just, I'm in an utter panic. So, you know, I take like four Benadryl, I'm sitting on the front of this pharmacy, but I'm hot and I feel, I feel really sick and I feel like I can't breathe. And I'm like, I need, I need to be seen by a doctor. So we go to the urgent, the ER at Aruba, which thank God was a one minute walk from the pharmacy right behind it very we really knew how to pick our hotel apparently so we walk over to um this er and um you know we pay this flat fee of 284 dollars which i'm thinking okay that's just to get in the door oh shit what how much is this going to cost like you know because i'm just very accustomed to how expensive medical care is and so i'm kind of panicking on the inside like do i really want to have to spend upwards of thousands of dollars while we're in aruba for me to get you know whatever needs to be done so we get back there, and he's kind of like, they're kind of like hemming and hawing, like, there's nothing wrong with you, you know, your oxygen's fine, heart rate's fine, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, of course, I was having these tremors again. Now, mind you, my husband had not seen me experience what I experienced in June. He wasn't around. He just knew about it after the fact. However, you know, I'm in the hospital, and he's seen it all. He's seen you know, my go really pale and then I'm, you know, I'm really struggling and I'm super thirsty. And then he sees the weird tremors. And of course, when I did have the tremors, I don't know if it was a combination of like my finger coming out of the ox, you know, pulse ox, but my oxygen level was dropping and it would pump, go back up when the tremors ended, you know, so he's just seen a lot go on. And so they gave me, um, a steroid thinking, okay, well, if it is a, um, you know, anaphylactic or something, or, you know, some type of, um, reaction then you know, this should help. However, it wasn't really helping, and, you know, my blood pressure was um, not, you know, going down. It was, you know, it was doing the complete opposite of what someone who's in anaphylactic shock does. And, you know, obviously I had oxygen. My oxygen level stayed relatively normal. So, um, 
you know, my, my heart rate leveled out, got really low in a resting heart rate. And like, once again, unknown to, to me, they slipped me a sedative um, and gave me that. And of course, after a little while, I calmed down and I was fine. And, you know, whatever we left and they prescribed me a steroid that they wanted me to take and told me to keep the Benadryl in hand. And I'm like, okay. And then I proceeded to spend the next four days not eating any fish while in Aruba. And I love sushi and all things seafood. And so that was so sad and then we of course go to Cape Cod after that and we're there for four days and I again don't touch any seafood because we're like let's get you to an allergist before we you know do anything eat anything crazy and I'm like this sucks so you know eight days in places that are known for amazing seafood and and whatever and I can't touch it so we get back to the states and the whole trip home, like the 11-hour trip home, and, you know, the week that followed, I kept having, like, these little feelings like I couldn't breathe, and I'm, like, having trouble, and I'm, I'm just feeling kind of, like, on high alert, and and obviously, I hadn't eaten anything that was weird, so I knew it wasn't that, and, um, and I'm just thinking to myself, something is wrong, like, something's wrong, um, so I googled, because I mean, that's how everybody finds out what's really wrong with them. You don't go to a doctor anymore. You just Google. So I Googled my symptoms. And um, after that, and then some conversation with my actual primary care, I did even I did consult them. But um, I came to the conclusion that I actually had two severe panic attacks, and I was suffering from panic disorder, which sucks. You know, and it's, it's a form of mental illness. It's a form that I've seen in my kids. It's a form that is, um, unfortunately, on my ex-husband's side, very badly like it's a huge issue on their side to the point that he has family that has agoraphobia um his own dad had some agoraphobia type um tendencies um you know they, they're on medication etc so it's it's not new to me but it was really it was something i didn't understand to the ex- extreme of what it felt like and what it could mean to be you know that high alert and that panic until i had one and it was terrifying i mean the idea that i was going to die was ever present in my mind um and that's super scary and and so i'm putting this out there because when i wrote it down because i do blog as well um and i felt like maybe podcast was like a step up from blogging but um you know i wrote a blog about it when i kind of acknowledged what i was going through because i felt like you know who else is dealing with this that i don't know is dealing with this um and, and, you know, if it could benefit one person to say, oh, my gosh, I'm not alone, great. And, and I did put that out there, and I got so much feedback and so many people um, who responded and were just like, oh, my God, I feel your pain. And it was a lot of moms. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm kind of making this podcast, one, because for me it's, it's another form of therapy, like just get my shit out there. I can't afford real therapy. I'm already trying to pay for my kids to go to it, so – you know, I'm going to do it this way, but, um, you know, I just want to put it out there and I'll definitely delve deeper in the whole anxiety aspect because that's a big part of my life now. But, um, you know, everyone suffers and a lot of people suffer silently. And for me, what really happened was I went from a point in my life that I bottled everything in. I held it in, I held it in, I held it in, you know, I put on the smile, I put on the smile, I'd run, I'd run, I'd run. And then I got to a place where I could breathe or, you know, so I thought, and I had someone in my life that I could communicate with. I mean, me and my husband share everything. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably in one of the most open relationships I've ever been in, in my life. 
Um, you know, I have an older daughter who I feel like I can be really open with about things. Um, she's very mature, one, but two, I just, I, I want to be real with her because I don't want her to make a lot of the same mistakes that I made, you know, as her age and older. And I want her to be able to recognize, you know, the bullshit as it's coming full frontal, you know. But I just, I'm in a better place where I have resources and I have people that care about me. And it seems like um, when that finally three you know, one eighty and I had my life together, um, running almost became a burden because running running went from being therapy and a release to being um goal oriented, like I need to be faster, I need to beat that last time, I need to beat so and so, I need to, you know, do better the race. Um, you know, I need to PR. Um and so I started taking all the anxiety and, and stress that I'd put on my life, you know, before when I was unhappy and basically focusing on the run. Or, you know, or even my body type or looking good or being a certain image or, you know, whatever. Like I started to reevaluate how I was putting so much pressure on me in a new light. Um, And I think we do that as human beings. Like we are our worst enemy. Um, You know, and, and again, I will totally delve into all of these things in so many ways, but that's all I'm going to say for today because um, I feel like I've talked long enough, you know, 40 minutes, 35 minutes is probably plenty. Um, thank you for listening. Um, I hope this helps. Um, I hope if other people are experiencing what I'm experiencing that they totally use your resources, find your resources, confide in them, make them available, make them important, make them a priority um, because life is just too hard to do alone. Like it just is, seriously. Um, and thanks for listening. Um, I will hopefully be really better about this. Like it's been like 11, 12 days and it should have only been a week. Um, but I will definitely do this again. I just, it's hard to find a moment where I can sit quietly by myself and record me talking, (laughs) um, without kids and a husband. So thanks for listening to me. This again is Jessica and you have listened to another episode of Christian Mother Runner, Burning Off the Crazy.